0: Man, well, good morning. If you're here for the first time, know that we're so thankful that you're with us today. You know, last week it was a, it was a big day. Uh, celebrating the resurrection uh, is a big day on the church's calendar. And I'm so thankful, uh, like all of us are, for the resurrection. But quite honestly, you know, I, I really don't like big days. You know, all the hype and the energy uh, that goes into it. But the reason we as a church have four to five big days marked on our calendar is because God, from the beginning of time, has used big days for his purposes. You know, God created the world uh, in six big days. You know, Israel was released from slavery in a night. Many battles in the Old Testament were won in a day. When Jesus was born, that was a big day. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people in a day. Both Jesus' death and resurrection were big days in history. After Jesus' Resurrection at Pentecost, God saved 3,000 people in a day. Uh, Paul's ministry, as seen in the book of Acts, it had several big days. We could go on and on and on about how God uses big days for his purposes. And so uh, I have to fight against my flesh. And we have big days marked on our calendar uh, for our church. But what we also know from Jesus' ministry uh, and Paul's ministry in the entire Bible is that big days by themselves aren't super helpful. We need to be faithful with the big days and with every other day in between. Uh, the ordinary days like today. And I think I like the old golf saying. Uh, it makes sense here. You drive for show, but you putt for dough. Uh, the driver really moves the ball down the course like big days, but if we can't chip and putt well, uh, it won't be a good day at the golf course, which is why I'm not very good at golf. and My 90-year-old, my 90-year-old uh, grandfather is way better at golf than me. Um, I can outdrive him two to one, but the man can flat out chip and putt. And so, as a church, yes, we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna have big days. But what I personally care way more about for us as a church is that we're faithful in the ordinary days, right? That we chip and putt well. Uh, that we, as a church, do as Eugene Peterson said. So famously said that we have a long obedience in the same direction. It's a week after week of faithful obedience of lasting joyful gospel endurance. So yes, God saves people in a day, but he changes them over a lifetime of day after day of faithful obedience. Uh, you know, Transformation, what we've been talking about through this entire series, it starts at the day of salvation, a big day in a person's life following Jesus. But transformation doesn't end with salvation, it ends with glorification uh, when we see Jesus in heaven. As Paul said at the end of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, uh, we're being transformed. Uh, We're in the ongoing process of being changed into God's image. And what changes us into God's image is a day-by-day, step-by-step walk that follows Jesus. It's the simple, small, uh, and ordinary things that often make the biggest lasting impacts. You know, last week in Paul's letter, Uh, to the Corinthian church, we looked at the end of chapter 5, we saw Paul urging the Corinthian church to be reconciled to God and to believe and to trust in Jesus, calling for a day of salvation uh, for many who were in the Corinthian church. Uh, You know, apparently uh, many were a part of the church, but were not truly following Jesus, uh, which, you know, I think we would see is very common in the church world today. There's so many things that were said in our passage last week that are so rich uh, that he said for followers of Christ. You know, uh, we are ministers of reconciliation. That's what he said. You know, God has chosen to use us, his people, to reconcile other people back to himself, uh, to reconcile God and humanity back together. Saying, as they said at the end of chap- uh, verse 19 of chapter 5, he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Right, he's entrusted to Christians the message of the gospel. And then he said, uh, next, we're going to pick back up. There's some overlap from last week into this week, starting in verse 20 of chapter 5. This is what he said. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then we see the great verse of 521, 20, this anchor verse of the New Testament in 21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, and then Paul says six, uh, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, which we read last week, I'm going to read it again. So it says, Working together with him, then, we appeal, you, uh, appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And last week, I implored and begged, uh, and just as Paul did for those in our midst of trust in Christ, uh, to believe that Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose from the dead, and all those that believe in Jesus will have their sins washed away, and we are made new creations. Uh, but for today's purposes, back in uh, uh, verse 20 of chapter 5, Paul said something uh, that I want to point out that will propel us into our passage today, and it's that we are Christ's ambassadors. And simply put, an ambassador is someone who represents the king in fullness on the king's behalf. If you remember that, maybe you remember this from high school civics class, or if you've ever watched Madam Secretary. Uh, This makes sense because Elizabeth McCord and Madam Secretary uh, is the Secretary of State for the United States. She handles and manages the foreign affairs. uh, She often spoke and talked to other foreign ambassadors uh, whose job, their job, was to represent their country in their other foreign relations. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said, we as followers of Christ are Christ's Our job is to represent, represent Jesus to others around us and to the world. I know last week I gave uh, several arguments uh, defending the resurrection and, you know, I love apologetics. Uh, I taught it several years ago. I think it's helpful for the unbeliever uh, when we're sharing our faith. Uh, in faith building, it, it helps us build our faith for the believer in a season of doubt. And without a doubt, uh, being an ambassador for Christ means we proclaim Christ, like we share and we defend our faith. We implore people to believe the gospel, just as we saw Paul do last week. But it also means our very lives, the way we live, displays Jesus to the world. It's part of our representation to the world. And I know last week, uh, I, I talked all about how it's not about what we do that makes us Christians, it's all about what Jesus has done. It's all about what Jesus has done. But at the same time, the way we live our lives, it's not insignificant. The way we live our lives, it deeply matters. Yet the very important uh, distinction for this is what drives, what drives us, what motivates us to living a holy life. Uh, we don't live for holiness to be accepted. No, we're already 100% accepted by God by believing in Jesus, As followers of Christ, we are completely and totally a new creation. The old life is gone and the new life has come. Just like we said last week, our identity as Christ followers is completely brand new. And because we're a new creation, we can run towards holiness in freedom. We live for holiness because we're already accepted and loved by the God of the universe. We don't live for holiness to be accepted in love. There's a distinct difference. We live from freedom, not for freedom. God's declared us righteous and new, as we saw in chapter 5. And so, so that now, in chapter 6, what we'll spend most of our time in today is seen in freedom and not bondage. I know in my, my own opinion, this is just my opinion here, one of the greatest apologetics and testimonies for the Christian faith, in my opinion, is endurance inside of persecution. It's the hope to endure even when things are tough. When we get knocked down, it's being able to get back up and to keep going. It's the endurance to continue to take steps of obedience and to endure in holiness and to endure through doubt and to endure in faith and to continue to take risks and to continue to invest in people and continue to open up and be real and authentic. All these things are daily, day by day, ordinary things. We know our natural flesh. We want to be changed in one big day, but yet we know, and as we've said, it's the long obedience in the same direction that makes the difference for us and shows the world real authentic faith. And the driving force that helps us to keep taking steps of obedience and to endure when we continue to sin and fail over and over and over again is that we live out of the reality of the declaration of chapter 5, that God has declared us a new creation, We've been made new, and we've been given uh, Christ's righteousness. That the God of the universe, who created us and made us, looks at us and sees us as His beloved children. Uh, if we strive for what we see today, in chapter six, without the foundation of chapter five, we won't keep taking steps. It'll just be too hard. Today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul gives us a long list of evidences that reveal his authentic faith. This is the fruit of Paul's life, showing that he's the real deal. Because if you remember, the Corinthian church didn't think Paul was the real deal. Some thought his faith couldn't be authentic because he had struggled too much. He had been through too much hardship, and today Paul is showing that he is a true ambassador of Christ, not because everything has come easy, but because it hasn't. And he's endured in hope. Which leads us to our very simple main idea today. Christ's ambassadors endure as new creations. We endure as new creations. Or to say, to say the same thing a different way, knowing we've been made new fuels us and helps us to endure as Christ's ambassadors. Because we've, been, because we've been made new, we endure. Knowing that we're loved by God uh, deeply, that we're chosen and made righteous no matter what we've done, knowing this is what uh, gets us off our back and to get up and to keep going. When we've fallen short yet again, we live out of our identity, not for our identity. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first part of our passage, verses 3 to 13. I'm I'm going to read it a little bit at a time. And then we'll look at the second half of chapter 6. Uh, And throughout our time, we'll see five characteristics of Jesus' enduring ambassadors. Uh, We'll see a picture from Paul in real healthy uh, uh, ministry that endures as his ambassador. Look, starting in verse three. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Again, We've seen Paul throughout this entire letter. Uh, he's been defending his ministry. Paul is saying he's got no faults with his ministry, in his ministry, showing that, yes, in fact, the way that we live as followers of Christ, it does matter. And then look what he says uh, in verses 4 through 8. We've got a long list here. It says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, imposters, and yet are true; as unknown and yet well known; as dying and behold, we live; as punished and yet not killed; as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. That's an impressive list of commendations. Uh, He lists 28 different things to commend himself by, uh, which his list is not the typical list we would think of when we think of like honorable and and praiseworthy things. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the video um, that always always plays after uh, the NCAA championship basketball game, One Shining Moment. I love it. Like, it's a, it's a real tearjerker. Uh, it shows all the great m- moments of the tournament. Uh, it's the great moments highlight reel. Well, that list we just read is Paul's uh, highlight reel. Uh, those are his accolades and his medal of honor. Uh, his, you know, th- that's what it is. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, prisons, riots, purity, patience, knowledge, and on and on he goes. And at the very top of the list, the very first thing he says, uh, what is often referenced as kind of the heading to this list is that first phrase. He says, by great endurance. By great endurance. That's the very first thing on the list. This is not a ministry resume of Paul's big days. This is a ministry resume of great endurance, of long obedience in the same direction, of marching towards Jesus. Paul knew his ministry recommendations that he just listed it, showed, uh, it shows the world, it shows the Corinthian church that he was truly an ambassador for Christ, because if you're not truly motivated by the gospel to endure these things that he just listed, uh, it's in, it seems crazy to continue on. Now, as I said we would, I've got five points that provide a healthy model for enduring ambassadors for each of us here today that trust in Christ. Uh, these are things uh, we're called to as Christ's ambassadors to endure, that if we've been made new, as Paul said, if we've been given Jesus' righteousness, if we live out of that, then these five things are a result of it. Uh, leading us to our first point. Number one, Christ's ambassadors endure hardship. Christ's ambassadors endure hardship. In verses four to five, uh, Paul listed several things. Uh, he said he endured afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, showing very plainly that he's been through a lot which in turn, uh, he's arguing, it further authenticates his ministry. He's essentially saying you don't endure such trials and hardships for your faith if your faith is not real and life-changing. Like, let's be honest, it wouldn't be hard to be called a Christian and convince a lot of people to be Christians if, we, if, if, if I told you everything in your life would get better. Like, if I told you your family wouldn't have any problems, you, wouldn't be, you would get a promotion of a lifetime at work, and your life would always be easy. It wouldn't be hard to convince you to be a Christian if that's what came with it. We see this all the time. People come to faith, life gets hard, and then people turn away from the Lord. But yet trials and hardships, like what Paul went through, they either reveal and strengthen our faith or they will squash our faith. When we get put into the furnace of affliction, we either run away from God or we will run to God. And Paul is giving this list, essentially saying, look, I've been through a lot and it confirms my legitimacy. And for us today, if we've been through a trial or hardship or struggle with sleepless nights and you've endured through it and it didn't push you away from the Lord, but rather closer to the Lord, that's an evidence of grace in your life. Do not miss that today. James 1, 2 and 3 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character and character hope. New City Church. I see this all the time. One of my many hopes and prayers for our church is that we will be a church that endures trials and hardships well. Because the reality is we're either coming out of a trial, we're in a trial, or we're being prepared to go into one. I don't want to be a negative Nancy up here today, but trials are always around the corner. Always. And what is vitally important is that we are able to endure them and not to be squashed by them. If we're going to be a church that wants to send people to the ends of the earth, then we must be a church that knows how to faithfully endure trials and hardship. Because in the least reached places of the world, in the places like South Asia and Central Asia, in places where we partner and hope to send people, trials and hardships for the Christian are the daily norm. A few weeks ago, for example, in a different part of the world, I found out that a girl came to faith and a few workers on the field because of it were turned in by this new Christian's husband. And one of the workers that we know and love they were blacklisted from that country forever. But yet they trusted the Lord. They had to leave the country as required. And then the husband who turned them in a couple weeks later gave his life to the Lord. And we praise God for that, right? But I wish I could say that story is always in like this. But they often don't. It may take six or seven years and sometimes longer in some places after years and years of trial for one person to profess faith. And in some cases, people are killed. People often lose jobs, are kicked out of families. This is the norm. I've, I've told this story before, but I served with a man in Central Asia whose own father put his head on a chopping block, holding him down with a knife in his hands and told him to reject Christ or he would chop his head off. A weak, fluffy, cotton candy faith would not endure that. Christians that often faithfully endure such hardships and trial often showed the world that Jesus is worth it, that faith in Jesus is worth it. May we be a people, New City Church, that represents Christ well to the world by enduring through hardship. Because the one we represent endured the greatest hardship by taking our sin at the cross. And look again at verses 6 and 7. Paul continues his list and says, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, In the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Just to group this list together, number two, Christ's ambassadors endure in holiness. To say these again purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, love, truthful speech, in the power of God. May we be a people, New City Church, may we we as Christ's ambassadors be able to endure with purity, to endure with patience and kindness, and love and truthful speech. This is a different type of endurance than a kind of a grit your teeth, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, and muscle and, tough, and toughen your way to endure. It's one thing uh, to endure beatings and hunger uh, with, t- with toughness. I mean, people in the military do this often. They do this all the time. Mental and physical toughness uh, is, seen, in, is all, seen all the time and in sports, and it's very impressive, yes, but it's often matched and paired with, many times, explosive attitudes, fights, uh, and, and, and angry outbursts. This is a different type of endurance, being able to endure hardships, trials, and suffering while also enduring and showing love at the same time. This is completely different. It's one, it's one thing to love people who are easy to love, but to love people even when they don't love you back, that's hard. But may we not forget that what Christ did for us, because as the Bible tells us, we were once his enemies, but yet he still died for us as his enemies. He endured the cross for us in love, in patience, in kindness. He, Jesus modeled enduring love. Uh, to say this second point another way, we could also say we endure in holiness by fighting and running to Jesus, by fighting sin and running to Jesus. Enduring in holiness is, is a constant turning away from sin and running to the only one who is holy, Jesus. Enduring in this is a day in and day out, constant and everyday endeavor. Enduring in holiness doesn't happen in one big day. It happens through countless baby steps over a lifetime. Enduring in holiness won't happen through a gritty, tough mental endurance because it won't last. It will not endure. It is too hard, but rather through a sweet, trusting, spirit-filled endurance that understands and rests in our hope and in our new God-given identity. Maybe this picture will kind of help you understand this. Okay, you know my son, he's, he's six years old. Um, he, he can kind of swim, but not great. Uh, and honestly, it's pretty scary when he gets into the water because he thinks he can swim. He'll jump in the water, swim a few feet, and then kind of flail back to the wall. Uh, well, just kind of imagine with me uh, if, if he was taken out into the ocean, maybe 200 yards, 300 yards out into the ocean, dropped into the water, and someone just said, hey, uh, get back to shore, swim back. <laughs> Now, there's there's no way he'd make it, not a chance. He would never make it. But imagine with me if there was a raft tied to a jet ski and all he had to do was get into the raft and he would get pulled back to shore uh, by the jet ski. His chances to make it back uh, are infinitely greater. And how silly would it be if he jumped out of the raft that was towing him back to shore and he tried to swim back himself? Brothers and sisters, if you have trusted in Christ, you are in the raft. And Jesus is towing you back to shore. Rest, knowing that you're in the raft of Jesus' love and care. This is how we grow in holiness. We day in and day out, we sit in Jesus' raft that he provides for us. And Jesus takes us to shore. Jesus does all the work. We just have to daily get in the raft. Stop trying to swim to shore on your own. You'll never make it. There's no chance. Our only job is to rest in Jesus and to sit in the raft. And while we're in the raft, he changes us because while we're in that raft, we see the greatness of our rescuer and he changes us in the process. We don't trust in our abilities. No, we trust in Jesus's abilities and our day in and day out long obedience in the same direction is to just get in the raft and rest and thank God, but that he has provided a raft for us that God, uh, that says, so let's, let's look at verses eight, eight through 10 for our third point here. Continuing our list. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. leads us to our third point. Number three, Christ's ambassadors endure in lowliness. Again, he said, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, uh, here's, here's an encouragement. <laughs> As Christ's ambassadors, if we represent Jesus well, uh, most likely we will be dishonored and slandered in some way. Uh, brothers and sisters, I hate to break it to you, but the message of the gospel is offensive. Being an ambassador for Christ comes with some very hard territory. Uh, but listen, this is true for all parts of life. As Pastor Kent Hughes points out, uh, if you don't want to strike out, don't play baseball. If you don't want to be criticized, don't be a leader. Never preach, and you'll never bore anyone. Uh, Never confront, and conflicts will be minimized. Uh, These things are universal. If you don't want to offend anyone, don't proclaim the gospel. But as we know, as Christ's ambassadors, that's not an option. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we must share with others. It would be unloving for us not to tell others uh, if what the Bible says is true. And because of it, we have a call to faithfully endure in lowliness and taking the low place while being put down by the world. Paul was dishonored and slandered, treated as an imposter, close to dying. He said he was unknown, poor, often sorrowful, but yet in his lowliness, he knew he had everything. He didn't need to be known because he was fully known by God. It was okay that he was poor because he was rich in the Lord. He was able to endure without having anything because he knew he had everything in Christ. Listen, we as as Christ ambassadors can endure in lowliness because in the low seat, God shines the brightest. If we don't endure in lowliness, we'll start to think we can make it back to shore on our own when in fact we know we can't. Because remember, our ultimate example, Christ came down to earth in lowliness, in humility, and he became a baby. And Jesus was sent to the cross so that we could then be raised with him into new life. And in our pride, we want to have our names known, to be praised and honored by the world. We want the world to see us swim back to shore and save ourselves. But when we're with Christ, who humbled himself, we can endure in lowliness and continue to get in the raft. Because in our, our lowliness, we know we need that raft. We don't need our own glory because we're with glory himself and his name is Jesus. James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 57.15 shows us that God who is high and lifted up also dwells with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. He revives the spirit of the lowly and to revi- he revives the heart of the contrite. And So in our lowliness, God meets us. And he revives us and he helps us to endure and he brings us back to shore in his raft of love and care. New City Church, as Christ's ambassadors, may we take the low place continually. May we be a people who fully know we are weak and lowly, but yet Christ is strong. May May we be marked by our dependence on Christ and not on the strength of ourselves. Because only through the strength of Christ is where God provides endurance to keep marching and to keep going and to be brought back to shore. Look what he says next in verses 11 and 13. As we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, you are restricted in your own afflictions. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Leading us to our fourth point. Number four, Christ's ambassadors endure with open hearts. Paul here is saying that his uh, his heart was open to the Corinthian church. Well, yet he also knew how they felt about him. His heart wasn't closed off but open while they were while they were still yet closed off to him. He said in verse 11, just to say it again, we have spoken freely to you Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Paul was saying he's vulnerable and open and honest, which I think we can all agree is a hard place to get to at times. Especially when others are closed off to you. Paul said in verse 12, they were restricted in their own affections. Saying they were closed off to Paul. And Paul here was urging them to open up to him, to let him in, to widen their hearts, as he said in verse 13. And I think we all get this. It's much easier to be closed off to someone and to not let anyone in, because if you don't let anyone in, you won't get hurt. But yet, you also won't find healing and restoration and true life the way God has designed it. We were made for true, biblical, grace-filled, open and honest community. It's easier and more convenient to keep our hearts closed and cold because it seems safer there. Trying to open up your heart and trust someone, that's a really hard thing to do. But Paul, uh, up to this point, has been uh, saying and showing that he can be trusted and he's urging them to trust him, to open up their hearts to him. Uh, This is hard, isn't it? Opening up our hearts to people. Because we possibly think... What if someone sees us for who we really are? What if these people knew my deepest, darkest struggles? Uh, And opening up our hearts, it invites ourselves to vulnerability. And vulnerability is where we open ourselves up to be hurt and dishonored and slandered or or to lose respect. Because opening our hearts is where our true self lies. And what if someone doesn't like what they see? Like We want to be respected, and if they see us for our true self, what if they don't respect me? Or maybe we think, what if they see how insecure I am? Or what if they see how messed up I am, like the sin in my life? What, what, what would they think if they knew it? Like, How would they treat me differently? Would they view me differently? And so what do we do with all of these thoughts? Well, one of, one of our, one of our, some of our defense mechanisms is to keep up a wall and, and keep our hearts closed which can often uh, turn into some sort of bitterness or resentment or anger. Uh, It can look like pride or a false sense of toughness or whatever it may be, and it lacks authenticity. You know why we do that? Oftentimes it's because uh, we've opened up our hearts in the past and we've been hurt, slandered, dishonored, or respect was lost. And then we get like the Corinthian church and we put up walls around our hearts, which, let me say, is not always a bad thing to do especially with people that genuinely can't be trusted, that haven't earned any right to be trusted. But Paul, on the other hand, has shown, has been showing and proving himself, showing, hey, I can be trusted. I'm a safe space. He's not asking to be trusted without him first earning it. He showed them and he can be trusted. He's proved himself. I mean, asking someone to trust you without, the, uh, without that trust first being earned, it's, it's sometimes silly and not wise. Because trust is earned slowly over time, but you know what? We also know it can be lost in an instant, which is yet another reason why we're hesitant to open up and show our real self. But Paul is not asking them to be willy-nilly about trusting him. He's not asking them to trust him without the life, without his life also backing it up. No, he showed that he can be trusted, and he's urging them to open up their hearts and to trust him. New City Church, may we be a people in a church that can be trusted. Slowly, day after day, lay down grace-filled deposits that earned our trust with each other over time. It creates safe spaces for openness and vulnerability and that models the same grace to others that Jesus has shown to us. And then also on the flip side, may we work towards being open and vulnerable with people while fully knowing there's not a single person on this planet that is perfectly worthy of our full trust except for Jesus Christ. Because without a doubt, people will fail us. Why? Because we're all sinful people. That we're all, we all desperately need God's grace. Do you know what happens when we're open and honest with each other? When we're open and honest with other broken people that also need God's grace, sin doesn't have room to fester and grow. When our hearts are open in healthy biblical community, sin can be put to death. When we're open and honest, we allow people to see the real us and we, as a body of Christ, grow in authenticity. And we allow others to be ministers of reconciliation in our lives, just like Paul talked about back in chapter 5. I mean, how crazy is this, right? God has designed us and he's made us, the body of Christ, his church, as broken sinful people, as broken vessels, to be ministers of reconciliation to other broken and sinful people i mean this is what it means to be the church to be in community with each other and to help each other and to point each other continually back to jesus we are in we are all in need of getting into that raft and the best way to earn trust with people is to continue to encourage them and to get back into the raft of jesus's love and care and to let other, let him tow to us back to shore together And God's word today is calling us to endure with open hearts in healthy, biblical, grace-filled community. And do you know how we endure in this? Again, it's a daily recognition that God already knows each of us, sees us, and approves of us. And that God of the universe has opened up his heart to those who have put their faith in Jesus, and he loves what he sees no matter how messed up we are. Because remember those who trust in Jesus we've already he already sees us as righteous and new creations uh, in a new creation by God our father and if we're afraid to get hurt may we not forget God's grace is always there to restore and revive God's grace is greater than our sin and it's also big enough to revive and restore time and time again broken wounded and weary souls that feel like their open hearts have been stomped on by the world but yeah we know God's grace is greater It always is. So we can endure in being open and honest with the other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is so incredibly freeing. To open up our hearts and to not feel like we have to mask our true self. But I do want to point out a warning that Paul brings up at the end of chapter 6. About opening up our hearts to the wrong people. New City Church, I can't emphasize this enough. True biblical community is essential. We all need it. This is why our city groups are so important. If you're not into it, if you're not in a group, get in a group. Sign up today. We need each other for everyday life. We need to open our hearts to find healing and direction and encouragement and care and to continually refix our hearts and minds onto Jesus. Because if we don't have this true gospel, grace filled Christian fellowship, we'll end up going in the wrong direction. We won't get on the raft. Look what Paul says to end, out, to end out chapter 6 as a warning. He gets to the importance of true biblical community. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Baal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said." I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will become and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Paul shows us a stark warning to end out chapter six. He says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. New City Church, we're a family. Like We need each other. We need fellowship and community with each other, leading us to our last and final point today, number five. Christ's ambassadors endure with gospel fellowship. Paul said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he gives a list of questions like, uh, what, what partnership does a righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord does Christ have with Which is That's just a false god. Uh, What portion does a believer share with unbeliever or the temple of God with idols? Uh, And to get straight at this idea, Paul is showing us we need to watch who we spend time with. Or, Or more importantly, who we're yoked with. Now let me be very clear. This is important, okay? This is not to say that Christians should avoid people who are not Christians. That's far from the truth. The Bible is very clear. We need to be with lost people. Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. He lived and he dined among them. That's not what he's saying. But Paul is causing us to ask, he's saying, who are, you, who are we yoked with? I get it, that sounds like weird Bible language. Um, and don't be fooled into, th- into thinking Paul is talking about some strong dude that's yoked. That's not it, okay? Uh, and to explain this, this idea of being unequally yoked, when two animals are yoked together, they have a wooden beam connecting them that helps uh, them to pull together a load, Uh, Being equally yoked together means you're pulling together in the same direction uh, to complete the task together. And so if animals are unequally yoked, uh, that means one is stronger or maybe one's taller than the other, then the result is often to go in a circle and not complete the task. And so when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, he means don't be tied together or influenced by unbelievers. It's not saying don't spend time with unbelievers and be friends with unbelievers. No, but rather uh, don't be yoked with them. Don't be influenced by them. Don't follow them and go in their direction. As followers of Christ, we want them to follow us who follow Christ. If we're following them or being influenced by them, then we've got it backwards. Uh, And this this language is often used uh, for advice in dating relationships and preparing for marriage. And it's good advice because when you get married, you become tied together. You become yoked together. And when you're married, as a follower of Christ, you need to go in the same direction, towards the same purpose. And if you're dating or married or flirting or influenced by someone who is not a Christian, then you can't go in the same direction. Because as Christians, your purpose in life is to glorify God. And someone who is not a Christian who would not have that, would not have that same goal and purpose. And so yes, it's very important in dating and marriage relationships to be equally yoked. But remember, Paul here is addressing a church. And he's not addressing a dating or engaged couple. And so more accurately, Paul is saying to the church, don't let unbelievers influence your church, your fellowship, your community. Don't let the world and culture pull your church around in different directions. And so, and and more specifically, he's he's addressing those in leadership in the church. They need to be believers who follow Jesus. And, And that sounds like a funny thing to even bring up. Like, but sadly, that's, It's not funny because there are churches all over the world that have people in leadership that don't even believe the Bible. You see, church, we desperately need real gospel fellowship and not false fellowship that will pull us away and lead us into the wrong direction. Again, this is not to say we don't spend time with unbelievers, but the question we need to ask ourselves is, are they leading us and affecting us and influencing us? And if yes, we're yoked with them. And if we, we need to rethink our relationships because true biblical fellowship will point us to Jesus. False fellowship will steer us away from Jesus. Again, the unbelievers we're around, are they influencing us or are we influencing them? Because remember, we're ambassadors for Christ. Whatever keeps us from representing Jesus well, we need to rethink and reevaluate and bring him to Jesus. Because look what Paul says next in chapter 7 verse 1 to finish our passage today. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. New City Church, we are ambassadors of Christ, right? God looks at us every day because of Jesus through the gospel and says to us, you are clean if you trust in Jesus. And our response to that is to endure, living out of our identity. God saves us in a moment by his grace, and he transforms us into his image over a lifetime by his grace. And all this to say, the very last thing, just to close out our time today, next week, we're going to be baptizing. Praise God, right? And so if you have recently professed faith, or maybe it's been 10 years, and you're finally ready to be baptized— one of the best ways to tell the world about it and to show the world that you're an ambassador of Christ is to be baptized, to go into the waters of baptism. Because in baptism, we're telling the world outwardly what God has done through us, uh, in us inwardly. Listen, baptism, it does not save us uh, and it does not cleanse us of our sin. Only trusting in Jesus Christ will save us and cleanse us of our sin. Uh, Baptism is simply an outward symbol saying to the world, Jesus Christ has made us new and I'm now an ambassador for Christ. If you haven't been baptized, I would love to talk with you. If you would uh, like to tell the world about your faith next week through baptism, would you come and find me after the service maybe? Or maybe just tell a friend they could tell me baptism uh, it's a big day for a new believer it's a celebration but it simply marks the beginning of our long obedience in the same direction and we can endure in this long journey because we live knowing that we've already been made new so let's pray god you're gracious to us god you continue to day in and day out work in our hearts and in our lives Father, would we be a people that rest in Jesus Christ, knowing that you are changing us and transforming us? Father, would we, uh, would we show the world what an ambassador for Christ looks like, that we rest in Jesus, and the God that we proclaim Jesus? Father, would we, uh, would we love you and represent you well? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.